0: Lord, we thank you for your great love and grace for each of us. Father, you have demonstrated that love by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, and you did that, Lord, while we were sinners, while there was nothing about us redeemable, and you redeemed us anyway. There was nothing about us that we could fix, and you fixed us anyway. There was nothing about us deserving, and you gave to us anyway. I pray, Lord, as we keep our hearts and our minds in an attitude of worship, that you would give us great grace as we look at these couple verses this morning. Help us to hear your word to us, and to hear your word for what it truly is, Not the word of men, not the opinion or made up stories of people long ago, but the revealed word of God given to us by your son through your spirit so that we can hear your voice. In Jesus name, amen. So even though we have been in Luke for um, The last few weeks, it's been a couple weeks since we have been in our journey through Luke because we took a break for Palm Sunday and Holy Wednesday and Good Friday. And last week was Easter. That went fast. Uh, And we stayed in Luke for all of those messages. We just jumped way ahead. And don't worry uh, when we finally get that far in the book of Luke, you will have forgotten everything I talked about last week. And it'll be all brand new. Or maybe you won't have forgotten, but... It'll be Easter next year. It'll be, it might be. <laughs> if we take two verses at a time, it'll be Easter like three years from now. Um, anyways, uh, the passage we studied last time taught us about these friends who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They lowered this man through a hole in the roof that they had made. And Jesus then showed us the priority in healing. First and most... Morst? Yep, I'm going to stick with it. First and most important is spiritual healing and then physical healing. Today, we turn our attention to the call of Matthew. Now, before we go that far, I'm going to make a quick reference, which is probably, I know it's up there because I put it there. Um, In Psalm 23, we're told that the good shepherd leads me. He doesn't drive me. And there's a marked difference between those two things. In places in the world where there is no open pasture land, shepherds will often drive their sheep from behind with sticks in order to get them where they want to go. Uh, I borrowed this because I've never been there. But in the Holy Land, in the open wilderness of the Holy Land, the shepherd walks slowly ahead of his sheep. And he either plays his own tune, like on a pipe or something like that, or he sings his own unique call. The sheep appear to be attracted primarily by the voice of the shepherd, which they know and are eager to follow. It's a common practice for a number of shepherds to gather in midday to give their sheep a time to drink around a spring or well. Uh, The sheep get to mingle together. They get to have a drink. They get to rest. And at any time, one of the shepherds can decide to leave. And on on giving his call... All the sheep will immediately separate themselves from the mixed flocks, and they will follow their shepherd wherever he leads them. They also do this overnight in the sheepfolds. The shepherds would take turns literally being the door of the sheepfold, and when it was morning and one of the shepherds had to come, and he would simply give his call, and his sheep would follow. This is why Jesus told us in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 27 and 28. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Now, this Levi character is Matthew. And if you've been watching the chosen uh this was back in season one of the chosen uh you saw this played out in dramatic fashion with some artistic license taken of course i always i like the chosen i think it's a fantastic show i just got the email um i think it was friday that my season three blu-rays have been shipped so i should be seeing them very soon um But you do have to keep in mind that The Chosen is not Scripture. The Chosen is a TV show. And while it's really amazing and I think it's really well done, um, it's not Scripture. So we go to Scripture. We watch The Chosen, right? We can watch The Chosen, but then go to Scripture. And it's good to identify the differences and pay attention and understand that some of the things they're doing is simply artistic license. And that's okay. But one of the things that I think The Chosen probably got right even though we don't really see it in scripture, is that Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, probably had some exposure to Jesus, to his teaching or to his ministry before Jesus walked by his tax booth and said, follow me. Now, whether or not he had actually interacted with Jesus before this, we don't know. But my guess is, you know, they have the one scene which goes along with what we just what we studied a few weeks ago, where they tore a hole in the roof and lowered the guy down. And in that scene in The Chosen, Matthew's sitting up on a roof across the road, and he's watching this take place. I didn't actually talk to Jesus, but he was very interested in what was going on. And so I think it's very possible he had some sort of exposure. So when Jesus walked by and said, follow me, it wasn't the first time he'd heard his shepherd's voice. It was just the first time he listened. So let's talk about tax collectors. So the first thing we see is a tax collector at work. We went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. Uh, I don't know if you're anything like me. You hate this very particular time of year. I despise it with the very core of my being. Um, The other day, my wife looked at me. she's, She's actually asked me this question about five times in the last two months. Have you filed our extension yet? oh, yeah, I got to do that. And she looked at me, I don't know, it was Wednesday or Thursday, and she goes, have you filed our extension yet? Oops. Because, well, technically yesterday was tax day, so they push it out till Tuesday the 18th. And I was like, nope. So on Friday, I went and stopped by the account, and I said, will you please file my extension? And of course they did, um, because that's what I pay them for. But um, tax collectors in their day were just as bad as tax collectors today. They stole from people, according to the law yay sorry i'm not trying to be political i'm just it's true you have to think about all right i'm going to be careful here but you got to think about how many times our money is taxed right it's taxed on our income it's taxed when we get gas it's taxed when we buy groceries it's taxed when we breathe air and it's taxed when we drive down the road and it's taxed when we register our car or we get a new driver's license or we buy our glasses or 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 yeah anyways now, the difference back then was there was a set amount that they were supposed to collect. And, well, they could keep whatever they could get over that. So we know that the tax collectors in Jesus' day were typically Jewish people. And they had taken a job working for Rome to collect ca- taxes from their fellow countrymen. It is not a surprise that they were so hated. When we get to Zacchaeus, the wee little man up in Luke chapter 19, he admitted to stealing money from people while collecting their taxes. Now John MacArthur said this, they, the tax collectors or the publicans, depending on your translation, often strong-armed money out of people with the use of thugs. Most were despicable, vile, unprincipled scoundrels. I'm not going to make any modern-day comparisons. We're not told if Matthew was this type of tax collector. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was a good guy. Maybe he said, yeah, you owe the government 50 bucks, you got to pay the government 50 bucks, that's that. Right? Not 51 or 60 or 82, just this is what you owe, this is what you need to pay. But even if he was honest in his dealings, he still worked for a foreign occupying force, taking money from his countrymen, and the Jewish people would have seen him as a traitor for this—an absolute traitor for this. Which is why I think it's—it's it's up was in season since season three that they get sent out two by two, and, and in the in the show, uh, um, Jesus pairs. Matthew up with Simon the zealot and zealots if you are unfamiliar zealots were the ultra patriots of that day right in our day they have compounds and they they walk around the perimeter with AR-15s and they have eight years of food stored in the basement and there's nothing wrong with being prepared I'm not saying that but if you approach that and you flash a government badge you're going to die right that was the zealots of Jesus day they would kill roman officials they would kill roman soldiers they would steal from them they hated rome and they basically enacted some sort of uh kind of a guerrilla warfare against rome it was ultimately the actions of people like that that led to the destruction of rome in 70 a.d that jesus predicted and we're not there yet but in the show they pair jesus pairs Matthew the tax collector with Simon the zealot and I think that's funny now I don't know if that actually happened in the Bible but apparently the writers of the chosen thought that would be funny and I kind of think it's funny too as a follower of Christ there's been a number of people that I have worked with that I have ministered with that I have ministered to that I have talked to so on and so forth that are from a completely different walk of life than I am and that's the beauty of the cross. Right, I'm uh, a, a sci-fi and fantasy nerd. Uh, I could quote to you most of the Lord of the Rings from memory. I could. I shouldn't be proud of that. I'm just saying I could. I could make references up down up one side and down the other, and I've met people that they, they, they what's start what's Star Wars, ah, just stab me why not just right just sticking it in and twist it. when i met my beautiful wife and i know i've told this story before but when i met my beautiful wife she's like well i've heard of it i'm like oh that's it we're going to watch all of them and you're going to love them or this is over and uh, okay i didn't say that but she watched them and i don't know that she even loves them now but she will sleep through them while i watch them but i think that's one of the beautiful things about being a follower of christ is, you know, my background, my interests, the things that I'm passionate about may be very different from your background and your interests and the things you're passionate about. But what we have in common is we're followers of Christ. And that's awesome. Two simple words, then, after Jesus sees him, and he said to him, follow me. Now, the word follow in Greek... Akalutheo. And it means to be in the same way with or to accompany in union. When Jesus called Matthew or any of the other disciples or you and I for that matter, we were called into union with him to accompany him, to learn from him like an apprentice learns from his master When you look at the word disciple in Greek, it actually carries with it the idea of an apprentice and to go the same way that he goes. To put it simply, to follow Jesus means to go with him and to learn from him so we can, over time, become like him. I'm going to say that again. To follow Jesus means to go with him and learn from him so we can over time become like him and there's two words in scripture that talk about this process one is the word transformed and the other is the word conformed transformed and conformed Second Corinthians 3.18 says is one of the places we see the word transformed. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Right? So beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord. And I love this word in Greek. It's where we get our word metamorphosis, metamorphoo, or metamorpho. I don't know. I don't speak. Um, and it literally means to change or transfigure. When Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, which you can read about in, Ma- in John chapter John, no Matthew chapter seventeen, not John chapter seventeen. Uh, but in Matthew chapter seventeen, when it says he was transfigured before them, this is the word that's used there. And this is what we are supposed to be. And there are a lot of places in Scripture where we get these various ideas presented to us but very simply put um i used to be that way now i'm this way i used to be lost and now i'm fine i used to be blind but now i see i used to be in the kingdom of darkness i I keep looking over here all right you guys are the sinners and you're the ones that are saved um all right we're all sinners but still um You were in the kingdom of darkness, now you're in the kingdom of light. You were following the ways of the world, now you're following the ways of Christ. You were condemned for eternity, and now you're saved, transfigured. And that shows up in our lives, it needs to show up in our lives. Uh, ooh, I get to use my concert. We went to see uh, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman last night over in Pueblo, which was a great concert. We got to run into some people, uh, some very good friends of ours that we had no idea they were going to be there. They had no idea we were going to be there. We didn't even know we were going to get to see them because I bought tickets up in the nosebleeds kind of. It was a really small theater, so there weren't really nosebleeds, but I bought tickets up in the nosebleeds and at intermission about an hour into the concert, uh, a nice security person said, hey, you want to go sit down below? And gave us tickets so we could go sit down below because the theater wasn't full. So we went and sat down below. We were about 20 rows back instead of up in the nosebleeds. And it was awesome. It's a great concert. But when we went down there, first we saw uh, a friend of ours from Camp Salvation that we haven't seen since last summer. And then we saw, oh, well, we haven't seen uh, The Seeker since last summer either. But they, like we're sitting there and all of a sudden a woman comes running up to me and wraps her arms around me. I didn't see her coming. I'm like... It was so cool because we had no idea they were there, and they weren't even supposed to be there because some mutual friends of ours had gotten the tickets, and then they got COVID, and they couldn't go, so they gave them the tickets. I call it divine intervention, but one of an amazing song that uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman sings, and if I remember correctly, it's on the Speechless album, it's called The Change. And it's a fun little song because he starts talking about all these things that, that you do as a Christian, right? He goes, I've got, I've got, I got my, t- my Christian t-shirt and my Christian bumper sticker and I carry my Bible around with me and I, I go to church and I do all these things. And then the chorus is, but what about the change? What about the difference? What about the grace? What about forgiveness? Um, and then there's more to it that I can't remember because lyrics and I don't always um, agree. Or, no, that's the wrong word. I have a hard time remembering lyrics. But that's the point of this word transformed. I'm a Christian, right? I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Does my life today look like it did 25 years ago? Almost 26. My birthday's coming up in a couple weeks. My spiritual birthday, anyway. Um, And does it look the same? Does my life as a follower of Christ look the same it did 10 years ago? 5 years ago, a week ago, yesterday. Because we are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. Day by day he works in each of us who are following him. And as we are transformed, we're also conformed. Romans 8:29 "...for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren." That, of course, is speaking of his Son. Firstborn there speaks of his resurrection, not of a physical birth. Um, Even though Jesus did have a physical birth, some people think that the word firstborn refers to Jesus being a created being, which it does not. That is not what it means. Uh, Jesus is not a created being. We know from John chapter 1 and other places that he is actually the creator. Uh, the word for conformed, here in Romans 8, 29, smorphos. Say that three times fast. And it means to be jointly formed or fashioned like unto. So if we go back and we read that verse with that definition in mind, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be jointly formed to the image of his Son. Or whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be fashioned like unto the image of his Son. The purpose of following Jesus, I think, can sometimes be distorted. Especially in Western culture. We get the idea that following Jesus means I said a prayer and now I'm going to heaven. And that's great. I want you, if you've never said the prayer, say the prayer. If you're not on your way to heaven, you need to be by believing in Christ. But that is not where our walk with Christ ends. But for a lot of people, it is. A lot of people are like, Well, yeah, you know, I go to church on Christmas and I go to church on Easter. And when I was nine years old, I said the prayer at camp. And when I was 11 years old, I was baptized. Oh, yeah. I believe in Jesus. But what about the change? What about the difference? And so while saying that prayer, and in all honesty, those of you who know my story, I didn't even say that prayer when I got saved. My prayer of salvation was very simple. I looked up at the sky and I said, God, I know you're real. I'm wrong and I'm sorry. And I know at that moment that I was saved. Not because my theology was right and not because my prayer was right, but very much like the thief on the cross, I heard his voice calling and I responded. And even though it's popular in church culture today, it's not what Jesus meant when he said, follow me. When he called Matthew, when he called you, when he called me, he called us to a life that is changed by the Spirit of God. A life that is fashioned into a life that is the image of Jesus. That word image means a representation and a resemblance. Jesus, And I love the fact that I'm saved, that I'm forgiven, that I'm adopted, that I'm set free, and that I have eternal life. This is a gift of God's grace accomplished by Jesus' death and resurrection. But the church is not meant to be filled with converts. I love when there are converts here. Here, because it's a definitely, it's a definitely, it's definitely a good place to start. We all start as converts, but the church isn't meant to just be filled with converts. The church is meant to be filled with disciples, with those whose lives are beginning to look like Jesus. Now, we're all at different stages of this journey. Some of us have been on this journey longer than others. And those who have been on this journey longer than others should, by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, look more like Jesus than those who haven't been on that journey for a long time. Right? You're never going to compare spiritual maturity, say, of a person who's been a believer for six months or a year, compared to a person who's been a believer for 30 or 40 years. If they're close, there's something wrong. I'm just going to say that. And it's not because a person who's been walking with Jesus longer is better. It's because they've been walking with Jesus longer, they should look more like him than somebody who hasn't been. A representation or a resemblance. But we all must be, by the Spirit of God and guidance of his word, in the process, in the process Of being transformed and conformed into a representation and resemblance of Jesus. When Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, and He said, You are the light of the world, isn't it interesting that He called us titles, specifically the one about being light, that were titles He took for Himself? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. You are the light of the world. Let your good works so shine before men that they... Sorry, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He said, I'm the light, you're the light. Now, we're the light the way the sun and the moon are the light compared to God. God is the source of light. He created the sun and the moon and the stars as light bearers. Right? The sun... Even though scientists will tell you it's a giant nuclear explosion in the sky that gives off ridiculous amounts of energy. But the only reason it can do that is because God put his light in it. And the moon only reflects that light. We are like that. The only reason we can be light is because God has put his light in us. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us is his light in us. And we need to let it shine. Ooh, I'm tempted. This little light might my- I'm going to let it shine, right? That's what we're called to. I'm not to produce the light. I'm to reflect it. And so are you as a representation and resemblance of Jesus. And what happens when people see that light? Well, according to Jesus' words in Matthew 5, they'll glorify our Father in heaven. And hopefully what they'll see is people who look, not perfectly, but a little bit like Jesus. The other day, uh, we FaceTime with our family every week, with my son up in Fort Collins and my mom out in um, California. And uh, we met one of John's roommates on FaceTime, I think it was last week or the week before. And uh, the guy was turned the other way. John was in his kitchen, the guy was turned the other way. And John was talking to us when he came in. And all, I started talking back and the guy went, whoa, you sound exactly like your dad. And then he looked and he goes, you look like your dad. Um, the more you get to know my son, the more you'll know he is a spitting image of me. Not just the way he looks. I personally don't think we sound all that like, but his roommate thought we did. Um, but if you spend a lot of time with my son, it is frightening. It is frightening how much like me he is. It is scary. There have been times where my wife will tell me something, just her and I, and I will make a snarky comment because I'm me. And she will then tell John, on a completely separate occasion, I might not even be there. And he will make the exact same snarky comment. And every now and then I'll I'll hear her on the phone because you're just like your father. I don't know if that's a compliment all the time because he's just like his father, which means uh, he does possess most of my character faults, but um, he's growing just like me. But he's the image of me for which I should probably apologize to the world, but he is the image of me. We are to be the image of Christ. That's what following him means. Not just going to church on Sunday, even though it's awesome. I love being in church. I love worshiping with all of you. Right? It doesn't just mean that I've got the Christian bumper sticker. Right? It means that my life is either beginning or I'm growing into as it continues to look like his. Which means I'm going to try to say the things that he would say. I'm going to do the things that he would do. And what did he do more than anything else? He loved people. More than anything else, he loved people. When he had to correct somebody, he corrected them. When he had to teach truth, he taught them. He got to a point where he flipped over tables and hit people with a whip. If you ever see me walking around with a whip, you'll know I'm just trying to be like Jesus. But most importantly, and above all else, he loved people, even the most unlovable. Verse 28. So he, speaking of Matthew slash Levi, Mevi, So he left all, rose up, and followed him. I love this so much. Here, Jesus extends the call to Matthew. Follow me. Two words. Two words. Not, all right, Matthew, I got a job for you. Right? I want you to come along. Um, You know, if, if you follow what the chosen says, I want you to be our scribe. Um, I don't know if that was the case. Of course, Matthew's book has a lot of detail in it, so it's possible that he wrote a lot of stuff down. Um, uh, as, you're, as you're with us, you know, as you're following me, eventually you're going to write a gospel. Uh, eventually you're going to be murdered for following me. But along the way, you're going to share with people. You're going to love with people. You're going to be one of my 12 inner core, right? You're going to this, 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 and this, right? He didn't lay out a plan, He didn't offer a salary. He didn't tell him about benefits, except for the eternal benefits. (laughs) Uh, But even then, did he say that? Did he say, Matthew, if you follow me, I'll give you eternal life. He didn't say that yet. Maybe Matthew had heard it. Maybe he had heard a message that Jesus gave. Maybe that was in the back of his mind. But we're not given that. What did he say? Follow me. Now imagine, in our world, If somebody that maybe you've seen or maybe you've heard, but they walk up to you while you're at work and they just said, hey, you follow me where I'm not going to tell you. What are we going to be doing? I'm not going to tell you. What's what's the purpose of it? I'm not going to tell you. What's the outcome of it going to be? I'm not going to tell you. Get out of my office. Probably what I would say. Then I'd have to ask them how they get in because when I'm here by myself, I lock the doors. But still, follow me. That's all he told him. Reminds me of, uh, you know, i want to make sure I didn't put this in my notes. (laughs) Oh no, I don't think I did. But it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6. God says, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, I will. Didn't ask where, didn't ask what. Didn't ask when, didn't ask how. Who will go for us? I will. Jesus looked at Matthew and he said, Follow me. No questions, no qualms, no nothing. He left all, rose up, and followed him. These are the same steps we take as followers of Christ. First, he left all. Matthew forsook. ...or abandoned his old life in its entirety. This is the first step in following Jesus. I am not now, nor will I ever say that it means leaving your spouse... ...or abandoning your children, or giving up on your responsibilities claiming that you're doing it to follow Jesus. That's not what it means. First Timothy 5.8 tells us that a person who does not care for their family uh, has abandoned the faith and is worse than a non-believer. Now, that's not to say that God may not call you to leave the state. God called us to leave the state. Uh, most of our family is still back in California. But if my mother needed me, I would go like that, without even a thought. Hi, Mommy, I love you. She's watching. Uh, at least she's supposed to be. Uh, mother right it doesn't mean that you can't follow the call of god on your life and sometimes that call of god means you have to go somewhere but it doesn't mean you abandon your family or anything of the sort what it does mean is that our old life our old way of thinking our old way of doing is left behind so we can follow jesus he told us in luke 14 26 which we're going to get to Um, One day, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own wife also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, does he mean uh, that I should hate my mother? No. Should I hate my wife, who's sitting right there? I don't hate her. What? It's a comparison. It's a comparison. Because Jesus, if he says, I want you to do this... And my mom says, "I think that's a bad idea." I'm going to do what Jesus said. Or if Jesus calls me to something, and my wife goes, "I'm I'm not sure." We we've actually had that discussion on a few occasions, where I'm like, "I feel like I need to say this in my sermon on Sunday," and and she's never told me no. She's never looked at me and said, "You uh but," but she has looked at me and goes, "Are you sure?" no i feel like that's what god put on my heart really yeah i'm pretty sure people aren't going to like that i think that's why i'm supposed to say it right she'll make me think she's never told me no never for anything that god has asked us to do which i'm very grateful for Um, but in the end jesus is first he will always be first he must be first When our kids were small, I struggled with not putting them ahead of him. I really did. Uh, And it's hard, and I know it's hard. Uh, But as they got older, and they got more like me, it was much easier. But the point is, if we're going to be his disciples, we have to be willing to do whatever it is he's asked us to do. One of the tattoos I have on my arm Um, and it's under my cross here and it said may the lamb receive the rewards of his suffering that's what it says Uh, and it actually comes from a pair of missionaries that wanted to go to an island plantation and share the gospel with the slaves the plantation owner would not allow them he did not want his slaves coming to know Christ now these two men they were single right? they didn't have children they didn't have wives they did of course have families because we all come from somewhere. And what they decided to do was to sell themselves to the master. Because it was the only way they could get on the island. So they sold themselves to the master and when they were about to get on the ship their families begged them not to do it. What are you doing? Don't why? Why don't do that. This is insane. May the Lamb receive the rewards of his suffering. That was the last thing they said to their family before the ship left dock. Leaving all is a matter of priorities. It's an invitation to follow Jesus. And the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to die. In Luke 9, 23, if anyone would follow me, Let him take up his cross. Boy, that should be easy enough, right? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Denying self, it's not about what I want. It's about his will. Take up your cross An invitation to die to self. And what the cross represented was Jesus' surrender to the will of the Father. And follow me, which we have talked about extensively, means to be transformed and conformed into the image of our Savior. Ephesians 4, 20-24 says this, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him, And have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Excuse me. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. There are many other such exhortations in the Bible. Galatians 2.20, Colossians 3.10, Galatians 5.24 and 25, and even more. But the point is, we put off the old person. We get rid of who we were by the power of God's Spirit working in us and the truth and guidance of His Word. That goes away and we become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ Well, if any man is in Christ, unless you read a newer translation, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away and the new things have come. That is what we become. He left all. Then he rose up. Anistamine. Sure, anistamine. While it can be taken to simply stand up, the root meaning of this word is so rich. It means through repetition, intensity, and reversal to establish and continue in a covenant. Greek is so much better than English. So is Hebrew, by the way. But it's, just they, there's, it's so much more descriptive. And there's so many more words to give us meaning repetition, intensity, and reversal to establish and continue in a covenant. In this moment, Matthew had a choice to remain seated in the tax booth in his current situation or to move into something new, into what God had for him in following Jesus. When Matthew responded to Jesus' call, he entered into a relationship with Jesus, a relationship that reversed his old life and allowed Matthew to continue with Jesus throughout his earthly life and on into eternity. Following Jesus is not a one-time thing. It is a lifetime of continuing with him. Consider Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. "...to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." We continue in our relationship with Jesus. As Jesus and the Father hold us in their hand, John 10, 28 and 29, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to continue, Romans 8, 11. And because of this, Paul exhorts us in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 39 through 39, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and will not tarry. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. In the parable of the sower, Jesus describes Four people who hear the gospel. One of them has no response whatsoever. The seed falls along the the rocks and whatnot and the devil comes and takes it away and it never has a chance to take root. But two of them, two of them, the one that um, uh, uh, grows up with the tares, the cares of this world choke out any fruitfulness, and the one that has no root and so as soon as things get difficult, they fall away. Right? Now, I'm not going to say whether those people were ever actually saved. Uh, that's not for me to judge. But the idea there is they hear the word. Right? They may even be excited about it. They may even respond to it. And then all hell breaks loose and they run. That's not what we're supposed to do. We do not run from our relationship with Christ because things got bad. We don't run from our walk with him because something happens that we don't like. God's been talking to me about that a lot lately. He left all, he rose up, and he followed him. I love this. Follow me. Okay. He followed Jesus. Philippians 4:12 4, through 14 I think Paul said it well. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Right? We don't follow a religion. We don't follow a charismatic leader. We don't follow a feeling. We leave everything that would hinder us from following Jesus, Hebrews 12.1, and we press forward in our relationship with him so that we can live the life that he has created us and called us to live. So we can lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus Laid hold of each of us. That's what it is. That's what it means to follow Him. I think when we first get saved, we're just excited that He loved us. We're just excited that we're forgiven and we're adopted and we should be. That all of a sudden, all the garbage I've ever done was nailed to the cross. It's beautiful. But you think that's all he saved us for? That's not all he saved us for. Because if it was just about us being forgiven so we could spend eternity with him, the moment we say the prayer, you say amen, you drop dead. Because you're done. If that's the only purpose, you drop dead and you're done. Or you get raptured, and your clothes get folded there. But then the problem with that is there'll be nobody left behind um, to tell the rest of the world about Jesus. When we get saved, when we come to know Christ, it's exciting and it should be. And then we spend the rest of our lives discovering his purpose for us and then walking it out. That's what we should be doing. And that looks different for everybody. If you're wondering what it looks like for me, something like this. What it looks like for you might be different and that's okay. I love the diversity in the body of Christ. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. Right? We're not all ears, because if we were all ears, right, we couldn't see anything. If we were all noses, we couldn't go anywhere. We'd be smelly. Got a couple smiles and eye rolls. It's better than laughter. Um, right, because that's not it. What if everybody was called to be a pastor? You think my sermons are long? Imagine if all of us were to give a sermon every Sunday. Or if we just took turns because we were all pastors. We're not all pastors. We're not all evangelists. We're not all teachers. We're not all given the gift of hospitality or the gift of administration or the gift of help. We're not all given a gift of prophecy or of tongues. We're not all given all of the gifts. We're not. But the Holy Spirit, according to the will of God, says, you, you're going to do this. And you, you're going to do that. And you, you're going to do the other thing. And when you put it all together, you get the body of Christ. Because what my hands do and what my feet do and what my arms do and what my head does and what my ears and eyes do, it's all different. And then we don't even get into all the things that are going on inside. Because what if my heart said, yeah, I don't want to be part of the body anymore? Uh Uh-oh. Right? That doesn't work very well. That's the point of the body. That God has created us all for different things. So you should never be jealous of my call. Trust me. And I'm not going to be jealous of yours. Because maybe you're called to do something that I think is just so cool. Cool. But it's not my call. I'm glad God called you to that. And I've had people go, oh, I I wish I was a pastor. No, you don't. No, you don't. Um, It has its moments. But I still love my job. And there's no force of hell that's going to stop me from doing it. But the point is, we're meant to be different. It is beautiful. So when we started today, I promise we're going to close. We started today, we read John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When Jesus called Matthew, and when he calls us, we must hear and respond to his voice. The longer we walk with him, the more familiar we will become with his voice. Which makes it easier to hear most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. Uh, Miss Cynthia shared something with my wife once that it comes up constantly in our house, and that is when we know our father's voice, then we know when it's not our father's voice. And we can say, that is not the voice of my father, because my father wouldn't say that to me, my father wouldn't lie to me. My father wouldn't get me to doubt my relationship with him. My father wouldn't get me to doubt my calling. That's not the voice of my father. There are times his voice will be one of correction. Those are the best, right? There are times his voice will be one of comfort. There are other times it will be a voice of instruction And still others, a voice of wisdom or discernment or warning. But no matter what, his voice will always be a voice of love. And when we hear his voice, we as his sheep must follow him. I'm going to end the way I always end, and that's with a couple questions to help us bring it home. So first, Jesus calls all of us into a relationship with him. And like I said earlier, I know pretty much everyone here, I think, at least fairly well. And I think you're all saved. And if you're not, well, stop it and come to know Christ. But if there's anyone listening to the recording or anyone online, have you not heard his voice and responded to it in faith, turning from your sin and believing in Christ as Savior? And if you haven't, you need to. Because hey, nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. And B, apart from Christ, there is no hope. Number two, or letter B. (laughs) Does our walk with Christ look anything like the walk we looked at today? There you go. That's going to help us all feel real good about ourselves. Um, Have we forsaken everything that would hold us back from following him and made him our first priority? Have we continued in that conviction and are we pressing ahead in our relationship with Jesus to lay hold of that for which he has laid hold of us? As always, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about intention. Transformation and being conformed into the image of Jesus by the power of his spirit and sanctifying truth of his word will not happen on accident. It won't. And I'm not saying this is a work we do in order to get saved because it's not. But it's something that happens in our lives as we surrender to him, as we seek him in his word, as we seek him in prayer, as we, by his grace, have a desire to follow him. It's not going to happen by accident. I'll go back to Stephen Curtis Chapman. I've had people look at me and go, wow, you're really good at guitar. Go listen to Stephen Curtis Chapman. What he does is play guitar. I have no idea what it is I do. But what he does is play guitar. Now, what's the really big difference? He practiced a whole lot more than I did. Now, don't get me wrong. I love playing guitar. Um, but I don't think what I do is play guitar. What Stephen Curtis Chapman does is play guitar. But it's about intention. You want to get closer to him? Be intentional about it. You want to know more of his word? Be intentional about it. You want to know what God has called you to so that you can live out your purpose? Be intentional about it. It's not going to happen by accident. C. What specifically is the voice of your shepherd speaking to you. Maybe he is speaking to you a need for greater intimacy with him. Or maybe he is speaking words of comfort and peace. Maybe he is speaking to you to correct something in your life. Or maybe he wants to speak to you to guide you. I don't know what he is speaking to you. But if we want to hear his voice, guess what? We have to listen. Jeremiah 33.3 3 says this. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Let's pray. My gracious King, I thank you for the voice that speaks to us whether it's your spirit speaking in the still, small voice, whether it is the beautiful and wonderful truth of your word, whether it's circumstances or maybe it's the voice of reason coming from somebody we love or somebody who loves us, whatever the case is, help us, Father, to hear your voice. Help us to follow you and to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.